Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein, promoting and supporting gender equality in the world of wine. I'll drink to that. And that's been the mission of sommelier Rania Zayat, my guest today. A leader in the global wine industry, Rania is the founder of Wonder Women of Wine, a nonprofit formed to do just that. She's also the co-founder of Be the Change, an equal opportunity initiative committed to changing the status quo through action and policy. Rania has her work cut out. Those who earn the title of Master Sommelier are not only the highest paid wine professionals, they are the most influential. And get this, since the 1997 creation of the Americas chapter of the Court of Master Sommeliers, of the 155 people who can lay claim to that honor, only 22 are women. Rania has 17 years in the hospitality field and is currently wine director at Bufalina in East Austin, Texas. She's worked in and managed some of the top restaurants and wine bars also in Houston as well as Austin. Ronnie has been recognized for her work by Zagat 30 Under 30, Forbes, Vine Pair, the Somme Journal, Wine Enthusiast, and the list goes on. So we got lots of ground to cover. Let's meet and get to know this hospitality expert, wine educator, and activist, Rania Zayat. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely from Austin. Hi, Sandy. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Totally my pleasure. So before we get political, I want to know how your relationship with wine began. Did it start when you were a youngster? (laughs) (laughs) Not too young. (laughs) So I've been in wine for 10 years and hospitality for 17 years, as you mentioned. And I did not grow up around wine. Uh, My parents definitely were never wine drinkers when I was younger. So I really got my start and uh, fell in love with wine working in restaurants. Um, when I was 17, I took my first job in a restaurant working as a hostess and then moved into serving. And I continued in restaurants while I was going to college in Houston. I was studying um, initially journalism and then switched to cultural anthrop- anthropology and uh, just really started drinking wine, um, you know, 1920 not too young, as I mentioned, but a little bit too young in the U.S. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, just uh, fell in love with it and the variety and the way that people talked about it. And also, I was very intimidated by opening bottles of wine table sides. So that was something that I was working to like get past and feel comfortable doing and talking about it. So I just started studying um, studying through drinking, of course, and then also uh, studying a little bit more and doing um, some wine classes at my first, my second, second waiting job. I think I was 19 or 20. So I don't even know what I was talking about back then. I definitely didn't know anything. And, um, and then started working in nicer restaurants as I was getting closer to finishing up my um, degree and worked at a restaurant called Papa's Brother Steakhouse in Houston, which has a world-renowned wine program. And so when I started there, I was entering this restaurant that had, you know, a bunch of lifer servers, people that had been there for 15 years that were hospitality veterans in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. And I was the youngest server. I was 23 and mm-hmm. um, really felt this need to prove myself and um, started studying you know, every day and coming to work and opening up the wine list and seeing, um, you know, a region or a producer that I had just studied and felt like 
okay, now I feel comfortable talking about this. Um, and recommending that particular wine to your exactly. dinner guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really uh, an exciting time for me to learn. And so I started um, working with the wine team to count inventory and do cellar, you know, organization and organize wines in the white wine cooler and all these things just so I could touch bottles and mm-hmm. familiarize myself with labels. And that's really where my wine journey began. Um, I just fell in love with the idea of the cultural aspect of wine, also of being able to travel um, as a sommelier. And that really seemed like the perfect opportunity to combine all of my passions um, and interests into one um, profession. And so that's really, that was the tipping point for me. So that was your goal to eventually get that prestigious title beside your name of sommelier. Yes, that was definitely the path that I was encouraged to go down um, by home. at that time. By the team of sommeliers that I was working with, there were five of them at the restaurants. And that was sort of the path that everyone was taking, was studying through the court of master sommeliers. And I really wanted to be promoted to a full-time sommelier. And in this particular environment, that was what I was encouraged to do to be able to advance. Um, so I really felt like... I had to prove myself in that capacity. Um, and so I, I started studying and I went from intro to certified in six months and then certified to advanced in, I would say less than three years, which is a pretty fast track. And um, I finally realized that maybe that environment was not the right one for me. And so I ended up uh, accepting a position in Austin to open up a restaurant here. So I moved here in January of 2014. Now, what did you see around you when it came to the wine business? Were you an anomaly because of your gender back then? I was definitely an anomaly because of my gender in the Houston environments and the Houston uh, sommelier hospitality scene. I was also an anomaly because of my age people didn't really understand that I knew what I was talking about. And, so and they were dismissive that, of you in a way? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I felt like because I was surrounded by all men and all of the master sommeliers that were coming to Houston to teach classes and leading seminars and tastings were old white men. Yeah. Um, it was really difficult for me to f- see myself belonging in that environment. Um, and I was always encouraged to befriend master sommeliers and I just didn't understand that it didn't feel natural for me to make that, formulate that relationship and become friends with. Yeah. What does that somebody. mean? Even? What do they, what do they mean by telling you that? As far as getting into the higher certification, um, through the court, you have to technically be invited and you have to get letters of recommendation written for you by master sommeliers to take the advanced and the master exam. And so you have to find a mentor essentially. And it's this very weird kind of uncomfortable and unnatural, um, relationship process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And relationship. Mm -hmm. And it felt like there were a lot of things happening with power abuse, uh, back then as well with the court and still to this day. And I just always felt like someone was hitting on me when I was trying to start a relationship with them or trying to seduce me or, you know, just like really, it made me question my own knowledge and my place in the industry. Like, am I being recognized because, because I'm really good or am I being recognized because someone has, you know, an alternate uh, ulterior motive? 
And that was, that did a lot of damage to my self-esteem as I was trying to prove myself. And so it wasn't until 2018, 2019, and even this year that I've really felt like I've finally broken away from that, you know, that self-perception, negative self-perception and those unhealthy relationships. I found you this incredible New York Times article. I don't know very much about wine. I'm not a wine drinker for no other reason than I just never developed taste for it. I mean, I'm really just a relic about that stuff. I don't like beer. I don't like If somebody says you want sangria, and I know it has wine in it, that I'll drink because it tastes <laughs> like fruit punch. I mean, I have very unsophisticated taste when it comes to liquids. When you were, I mean, and you were young, and, and as you were saying in 2014, and there was nobody else like you around. I can't imagine what that was like. You know, who do you come home to and say something weird's going on here or even question if something weird is going on? You don't, you normalize it. And that's what I did for so long. It's just, this is the way that it is, you know, and, and this is the way that it's always going to be. And that was really my, my understanding of what being a a sommelier or being a, a member of the wine community was like. It's just like, okay, you have to, you know, suck it up and kind of move forward and figure out how to, how to navigate this world. And, you know, that's why I was so inspired by the Me Too movement, because I felt like that was the first time that I saw women collectively saying, no, this doesn't have to be the way that, you know, this isn't the way that it should be. This is, we, we can do something about this. We can change this. And we're not going to, we're not going to normalize this behavior um, any longer. And so I was so inspired by that and finally felt like, oh, okay, my, all of my experiences, they are meaningful. They do, you know, they weren't right. And how can I be part of the conversation to change that? And that's really where and when I started Wonder Women of Wine was to create a space for women to feel empowered, to feel celebrated and um, to provide, you know, a great networking community that was focused on amplifying marginalized voices in the industry. When you became a sommelier, that year was what? I took my and passed my intro, my first exam in 2012. Mm-hmm. And my certified in February of 2013. And then my advanced in July of 2015. And that's, and that's a typical progression. I would say the jump between certified and advanced can typically take a little bit longer than when what I did. Mm -hmm. Um, But then beyond that, going after the master certification, you know, people, some people have been going after that for 10 years. So that's definitely the biggest jump. So again, you did not see you while you were doing this, this process at all. Definitely not. No, I knew of women, but they weren't in my circle. Um, at least not at an advanced level. Uh, some of the women that I studied with in Houston were sort of similar to me in, in age and experience. Um, and so, you know, all of the big shots, all the people that were getting all the recognition and going on the wine trips, those were all men for sure. Did you go on wine trips? I did. I went on my first wine trip in um, January, in April of 2015. And there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of, mixed emotions that came from that experience as well, because I 
had won a trip to Germany. Um, there's a, an organization called the Guild of Sommeliers, which is sort of like the educational arm of the Court of Master Sommeliers, their affiliated partners. And they lead, you know, it's an online education platform for people, particularly studying for the court. And they would offer these enrichment trips. And so one of the ones that came up was a Germany trip. And I applied and wrote an essay to, to win it. And I was one of two people selected for this trip. And I remember at the time, the person who was the president and founder of the Guild of Sommeliers had been showing an interest in me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, what wines you drink. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, he was the person who told me that I had won this trip and he had been trying to basically seduce me and get me to meet him, um, you know, have lunch with him and meet him, at, you know, different places. And I had resisted, but it turns out that I am pretty sure that he told people that something else happened. And when I had won that trip, I was so excited and I was telling one of my mentors about it. And I was like, oh my God, my first, it was not only my first wine trip, it was also my first trip to Europe. I had never been. So I was very, very, you know, thrilled with the opportunity. And this person that I told accused me of sleeping with this master sommelier to get this trip. And I was appalled and heartbroken and didn't know how to stand up for myself in that moment. And then was so confused about why I got that trip in the first place. And, um, it really just was a, it, you know, the trip was amazing itself that because that person didn't go on it, but it was just a really damaging experience to think that I felt like I'd worked hard and, and earned that and wrote a really great essay. And then for someone to just take that away from me yeah. with one simple statement, you know. Mm. How did do you find the strength to soldier on? I have greatly expanded my network of, I surround myself with, positive, empowering, inspiring women in the wine industry. I read a lot of books written, like autobiographies written by powerful women, not only in wine, but, um, you know, in politics. And uh, there's a lot of us. There's a lot. There's so many. And so I'm constantly inspired just by reading and hearing and learning about other women and what they're doing. And that gives me, that gives me so much strength. So... Tell us more about Wonder Women of Wine. How and when were you able to give birth to this endeavor? I came up with the idea in early 2018. And um, this was right after, as I was mentioning, the Me Too movement was starting and I was feeling really inspired and empowered. And I wanted to create a safe space for women. um, And I felt like holding a conference was going to be the most impactful um, way to, to go about that. And I, I don't have a lot of patience. So I was just really excited to get something going right away. And so I scheduled the conference for early March of 2019. And mind you, I have no experience in event planning or sponsorships or any of those, you know, complex parts, pieces of putting together a national you serve wine, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a big undertaking. Um, but I thankfully I had that momentum and that energy to right. just figure mm-hmm. it out as I went along. Um, and so I, we hosted a two day events with national leaders, all women in the industry. Um, Karen McNeil was our keynote speaker. Um, she's the author of the wine Bible and, 
it was great. We had about seven or eight panel discussions on the first day of the conference. Which was in Texas? It was in Austin, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the second day of the conference, we hosted a large walk around tasting with producers and importers and distributors, all by women owned wineries. And one of my favorite pieces of feedback that we got from that event, particularly from the wine tasting, was that women said, wow, this is the first time I've ever been to a trade tasting or a wine tasting where I felt like I didn't have to elbow my way up to the table and, you know, fight for attention from the producer and kind of talk louder than the men next to me. <laughs> and that yeah. I actually was respected and listened to and had really meaningful conversations. And it was just, um, it was a really beautiful two days. It mm-hmm. came together perfectly. And so that continues to thrive, your organization. And what yes. are you doing with it today? So initially, we were focused on just doing a conference every year and mm-hmm. really weren't sure about programming in between. We, we actually had fully planned out our 2020 conference, uh, which was scheduled for late March. And then that was... Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so since then, this year has been a really great opportunity for us to branch out and do other programs. So we host um, a webinar series called Allies, which is meant to amplify the voices of Black women working in the wine industry. And so we share our platform and open it up and just have conversations with with inspiring women that, you know, if they want to talk about racism in the industry, we can definitely talk about that. But if they also want to just talk about their business, let's talk about that too. Um, so it's been a really great way to just share our platform. And we uh, launched a wine club back in September with an e-commerce platform called Misa that focuses on natural wines made by women from around the world. What does that mean, natural wine? Uh, Natural wine refers to minimal intervention winemaking. So typically it starts with... Um, it starts with native yeast fermentations and spontaneous fermentations. So basically it just means nothing added and nothing taken away. A lot of the work as far as the wine production happens in the vineyard in growing healthy fruit, uh, organically or even biodynamically. Um, it's all about sustainability and, you know, starting with healthy grapes and then not doing much after that in the wine, in the winery. So it's really about, you know, lower doses of sulfur, lower alcohol levels, um, not a bunch of additives. Um, so it's a, it's a really big category of wine. What's a healthy grape? What makes a grape healthy? A grape is healthy whenever it can thrive on its own without the need for chemicals and herbicides and pesticides and fertilizers um, or, un, you know, inorganic fertilizers. So Basically, you want the entire ecosystem of the vineyard to be, to be healthy and thriving. And so your focus is on building up strong vines that are able to fight off their own and resist their own, you know, diseases and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. rot and all that stuff. And so it's really just about building up a healthy plant, um, which then can produce healthy fruit. And so it's not relying on, you know... Um, chemicals too. Right. But there's also the the factor that you can control, which is how mother nature behaves. Exactly. But it's also, and that, and that's the best thing about natural wines is that you get something different every year and even bottle to bottle. Sometimes it's not the same, but, but each year is, is completely different, you know, as far as weather patterns. And so it's really more a reflection of what happened in a particular year mm-hmm. than trying to 
constantly produce a consistent wine that's going to taste the same every time you open it. So it's also part of your work with your organizations, Wonder Women of Wine and Be the Change, that you do a lot of traveling. I don't do as much traveling as I would like. I certainly have traveled a bit more the past two years than I ever have. Um, So it's really just the whim of, you know, being able to take time off and also being offered opportunities to travel. The best part, honestly, about being in the industry is a lot of the times, you know, travel uh, does not come out of your own pocket, which is great. (laughs) Um, So I do a lot more travel just for my own education and knowledge and like being able to meet producers and share their stories and sell wine in my restaurant. But I do think that there is like an indirect connection to being able to use that knowledge to inspire other people to enter the industry. Where would you like to travel to that you haven't that intrigues you when it comes to the growing of grapes? Um, I'm really interested in seeing Portugal. Um, oh, I've been. A, yay, <laughs> I went great. to a winery there, as a matter of fact. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's such a small country, but so diverse as far as topography and, you know, being on the coast all the way into the mountains and mm-hmm. even north to south. So I'm really intrigued by by going there. Um, I've also never been to Austria and I fantasize about being on the Danube and kind of going through the Wachau and the Kamtal regions and um, I love a lot of Austrian producers, so that's um, a place that I have not been yet. <laughs> but domestically, too, I've never been to Santa Barbara, and I've always wanted to go there, or see the Finger Lakes up in New York. So there's some places closer to home. So use me as a for instance, okay? I have very a very unsophisticated wine palette, and let me rephrase that. I don't even have a wine palette. <laughs> so I'm not asking you to convert me necessarily. But why don't I like wine? Why do I think it almost tastes medicinal? Would you consider me a challenge you'd like to undertake? Or do you just acknowledge, hey, shit, not everybody loves wine? Yeah, I think um, a challenge isn't the word that I would use. Um, I would say that a lot of people have had really bad experiences with wine. I mean, especially the wine that you're drinking when you're 18 and 19. It's definitely not anything that's I understand that, right. Uh (laughs) Um, I, I think that, the world of wine is so diverse um, as far as the styles and, and the options that are available that I do, I, you know, I encourage people to, to trust someone who maybe has a better understanding of what you would like. Um, not to say that you might just not like wine and that's totally okay, but mm-hmm. I would encourage you to give it another chance. I'm just imagining hosting a wine tasting with you or something. I would really try to find things that I think are balance that are interesting that have you know good flavors um and there's a lot of reasons there's a lot of reasons my dad like hates wine um my mom is learning to like it because of me but you know some people just have um have had bad experiences and you kind of shut down after that (laughs) I just also want to say to you parenthetically that did you know that there was a follow-up article in the New York Times after the one that you were featured in about what women have to go through and that uh, seven members of the American class of sommeliers are suspended and there's been one resignation. I mean, you, your voices were heard, Rania, loud and clear. I can't imagine that that just didn't super impact you. 
Yeah, it's been quite the journey and it's worth, I'm still on it. Um, there's still a lot that is happening and will continue to happen. But yeah, I, I have kept up with a lot of the follow-up articles. Um, I will say that I think the reporting is amazing, but there is some maybe misunderstanding too about um, seven members being suspended because the court just went underwent a new board election last week. And um, those members that were apparently suspended were not actually, the suspension process hasn't started. And so they were actually able to vote in the board elections. So, you know, a lot of it is Bullshit, performative. Right? Yeah, it's performative mm-hmm. statements and performative, mm-hmm. you know, opinions and ideas that we've seen floating around out there. So I think that we're still the group of us and even more women that have come forward are still really working on a plan to create meaningful change that um, does not continue to harm the, the people that have been harmed. How do you reach out to other young women about joining your industry? As far as I'm not really sure about people that are not in hospitality or in restaurants, but what I've seen a lot this past year is a lot of people are getting really interested in wine and that have other, you know, careers and have started pursuing wine classes on the side and joining, you know, creating their own tasting groups. And I think my, my role in, in helping them is just creating a welcoming space when they come into my restaurant um, and creating like a welcoming vibe through uh, the Wonder Woman of Wine platform and celebrating them. I've always, you know, felt like people know that they can reach out to me. And if they want some advice on something, some, you know, something simple, like how do I, how do I ask my boss for a raise or how do I, you know, how do I go about getting this other job that I want? Um, I try to just be a sounding board and encourage them and get them to understand their own power and learning how to self-advocate, I think Mm -hmm. is an important tool for women in general, but especially for younger women. Why is it such a slog or so arduous to become a sommelier? I think that That question particularly pertains to becoming a master sommelier through that certification process. I think Mm -hmm. that a sommelier is is a job title. It's something Mm -hmm. you do in a restaurant, typically managing a wine program, selling wine, and all the less glamorous parts parts that come along with that. But Um, that's still a big deal to be a sommelier. it, It is. You have to know how to do every job in the restaurant. So, I mean, maybe not cook, but you do, you know, you're the best buster in the restaurant. You're the best server. You're the best manager, you know. There, it's much more complex than just selling wine because you have to know, most importantly, how to run a lucrative beverage program. You have to make money for your restaurant. I learned about how to run a lucrative beverage program simply by learning from some of my mentors, um, by learning how to cost out wine, doing a lot of reading on, okay, how many ounces are in a bottle of wine? How many Uh, ounces are going to be in this tasting menu per glass and kind of breaking that down and sort of understanding what the standard markup is for wine in a restaurant setting. Um, And then also how to create programs that are going to get more people in the door and drinking in general. And sometimes Mm. that means creating an amazing happy hour. Other times it means let's open up a special wine 
just to pour off by the glass, you know, on a given night that we don't normally feature that's more rare and a little bit, you know, harder to get. Mm-hmm. And just creating these experiences for people that keeps them engaged um, is is really important. And also education, tr- you know, training your staff on new wines, tasting wines together, talking about them and just creating that dialogue um, with your employees is is crucial to a successful wine program. So contrast that with getting the prestigious title of master next to your name. So I actually am not a master sommelier. I understand. Um, Do you want to be? I don't anymore. I definitely did for a long time. Kind of an obvious piece is because of the, I think, a a broken system, a broken structure. Sure. um, In that organization. Um, I also was doing it for a long time because I felt like that's what I had to do to be taken seriously. And I encourage people now to really focus on why they're doing something. Um, If they feel like they need to get a certification or pass an exam or um, take a class, you know, that they're doing it for their own reasons and their own benefit of learning and education, not because that's what someone else has said that you should do. I think a lot of people get it for the potential opportunities for financial you know, for because you can make a nice uh, salary as a, a master sommelier. Mm-hmm. You definitely can, um, and there's a lot of perks that come along with that. You know, being invited to participate in special events, going on wine trips, you know, all all of these perks. Um, but I think that if you're not using that power to empower other people and lift them up, then you're really doing a disservice to the industry. Because at the end of the day, it's it's been creating this sort of classist elitist environments and system um, without transparency, without accountability um, for other people. And so I just don't, to me, that's not what the future of this industry looks like. If we want the, the wine industry to continue on and to be successful and to diversify, we have to step away from these institutions that have been, you know, acted as gatekeepers for other people and prevented them from feeling welcomed and, um, and you know, prevented them from moving forward. You're a master sommelier, and then I guess you're God. You yeah. know, <laughs> I've uh, I've compared it to a cult-like, um, you know, environments, and you know, the the pin is the Almighty. This is this the pinnacle of excellence is getting this bright red and gold pin, and really, we're in the hospitality industry. Hospitality and great hospitality, I think, should be the focal point of everything that we do, and not being able to regurgitate useless detailed information with people that are studying for the same exam as you, because in a lot of ways, a lot of the things that you study, while they might give you a better understanding of wine as a whole, they're not applicable to your interaction with, with guests. As I mentioned, you're deified. I also assume that you just earn a shitload of money as a master sommelier. Ideally, yes. And what country has the most? obviously France or is that not necessarily so? I think that France definitely has a a very different structure and system. They don't, uh, they're not heavy players in the court of master sommeliers. It's definitely the United States that leads that. Uh, But it's, you know, it was a UK founded um, organization that has gained uh, the most momentum and the biggest following in the U.S., Um, But there are other programs out there. You know, there's um, the Master of Wine Diploma, which is also UK-based and sort of has a different uh, curriculum and rhetoric than uh, the court. It's more theoretical-based, a lot more writing um, and like, 
I don't know, uh, less focused on hospitality and rest, the actual restaurant environment. Do you drink wine every night with dinner? Most nights, not every mm-hmm. night. I still have to take some time off sometimes. Um, and, get, yes. and have a Coke. <laughs> yeah, or water or uh-huh. <laughs> something else. Yeah, um, I do drink uh, quite a bit of wine, um, I will mm-hmm. say. And I, I drink a lot of different things. I My palate is pretty eclectic. So I, I definitely love... Um, Whites. I, I love Chenin Blanc. It's one of my favorite grape varieties and something that I lean towards uh, a lot. But generally, it's just what am I in the mood for today? And mm-hmm. that can vary greatly day to day. So you have a wine cellar in your home? Um, not quite a cellar. I have a fridge um, that holds about <laughs> that, 50, that holds a bottle of wine. Yes. So I often ask this question of my guests, and so I will pose it to you. If I was your fairy godmother, what would you ask of me? Well, that's a beautiful question. I would ask for free travel for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, yeah, like uh, airline tickets to my heart's content so that I could, so I could go anywhere I wanted, whenever I wanted. And experience wines from all over the world? Yes, and people. And people. So where would that first stop be for you? I actually am dying to go back to Italy. I've been a couple of times, but I've never been to Southern Italy. And mm-hmm. um, I'm really oh, just itching for some Italian culture in my life again. I love mm-hmm. Italy as a country and just always have such a beautiful time there. I think the, pu- the people are beautiful. The language is beautiful. The wines are fantastic. Um, the food, of course, is amazing. And, and um, the country is, is gorgeous. So that's, that's the first place I would go back. Well, Rania, I've really enjoyed meeting you, and I'm so glad I read the New York Times. (laughs) And even though that was a disturbing article, it was a powerful article, and I think it was really eye-opening where people just might have been dismissive of women in the hospitality industry, yeah, whatever. You're doing such good works. And I, I, I was remiss. Did we go into any detail about Be the Change? We did not, but I would love to touch on it. Let's do it. All right. Um, so uh, Be the Change is uh, an equal opportunity initiative that is created to change the status quo through action and policy. And it's a joint project that I started working on with my co-founders, Leah Jones, Cara Bertone, and Philana Bouvier, who um, I all know through the wine industry. And we were wanting to figure out a way to really bring a focus of diversity and inclusion to the wine industry. And especially right now, the importance of focusing on getting people jobs um, during this pandemic, because we know that it's been a tough year with that, but also with tariffs. A lot of people have been laid off um, in the industry because of increasing tariffs. And this is the first of its kind. We just finished our first job fair and it was a great success. So we used an online platform called Brazen, which is a one of the leading virtual job platforms um, right now available. And our, our focus was to bring a diverse candidate pool to companies um, and be connectors of, uh, of you know, fa- helping facilitate job placement um, with companies that are committed to diversity and inclusion. So all of our exhibitors that participated um, went through a detailed survey um, that was created by our DEI specialist, uh, Leah Jones, who runs a nonprofit called Diversity in Wine and Spirits. And our goal is really to c- collect data on the state of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the wine industry and use that as, you know, a a database to help companies get closer to DEI standards 
and also long-term to create enact policy legislation um, mandating c- companies in the alcohol industry to focus on zero tolerance policies and to create DEI training and programs within their companies um, and within their company culture. Wow. I was going to say your plate is full, but I'll change that to your glass is full. <laughs> and clearly the world needs more Ronnie Azayats. It's really been a pleasure to meet and get to know you. And you're really a force to be reckoned with. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you. Well, we'll meet again. How about we'll drink to that? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.